Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Jason Klom here, the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. I just wanted to uh, give everybody a heads up. This week is also a, a joint episode of Rick Overton's Overview podcast, which is a great show. You should all check it out. Subscribe to it. Uh, Rick Overton came on uh, not that long ago, and we discussed Jonathan Winters. Uh, he's a friend of Rick's. Uh, inspiration to Rick. He just he has a lot of wonderful, interesting things to say about Jonathan Winters, so we talked about that. We talked about his album The Wonderful World of Jonathan Winters, and uh, Rick enjoyed his time enough that he offered to also make this uh, essentially an episode of his, his podcast. So I hope you enjoy this, and I uh, hope you enjoy Overview as well. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This week, Rick Overton is here. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for having me on board. It's uh, it's a real treat. It was it was enormously formative to me to hear a comedy album thanks to my dad. Yeah, yeah. He was a jazz musician. Okay. And he uh, he arranged for Thelonious Monk, and oh so God. he was part of the movement that helped make the transition from swing jazz. Mm-hmm page flip and everyone knew their part to sort of a bebop which is you knew some of it sure but then there were massive portions of improvisation in between wow and so he loved when other people did their thing with massive portions of improvisation in between yeah didn't always have to be in music Mm -hmm. and i think if anyone could be the bebop jazz musician of comedy there are two guys mm-hmm. lord buckley yeah which i found out about much later sure but the first one i ever found out about was thanks to my dad playing the wonderful world of jonathan winter's album for mm-hmm. me and then dragging me in front of the sullivan show or the tonight uh. show or whenever he was on mm-hmm. and watching everything he did from that point on that's so mind-blowing I, it's, do you know what the first? I mean, it's the, the, it's so rapid fire. Can you remember anything about the context of the first thing you saw him do? Well, I remember seeing Dad laugh. Yeah, and I wanted a piece of that action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what it, will it take? It will take one man, who or one anyone, a woman, whoever can do it. But it'll take one person who can change direction in an instant. Yeah. And switch characters, and become different voices, and uh, sort of riffs with lots of juicy details off the top of their head. Yeah, giving so that's a big deal for giving your character a lot of weird, innocuous details mm-hmm. that seem boring, except when you give them to this person, and then they do it, and now it's not boring anymore because they're the ones doing it. Yeah. It's a really interesting detail that doesn't have to be a giant hammer blow joke every time. Right, right. If the character's right, you can do something subtle and they'll love the fact that this weird person, it is, in fact, the precursor to all the humor that's used in The Office. Sure. Or a Christopher Guest film. Absolutely. Micro detail becomes a big deal because of who presented it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I may not have thought of it all in those terms as a little kid, but I was starting to format what I thought was a great way to do stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And the same reason my dad loved Peter Sellers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all that character and voice and switcheroo work he did, you know. Yeah. 
Out of the goons. Right. Did you... So then... So your first memory is seeing your dad laugh. Maybe not knowing what was doing it at the time. When did you start putting that into practice? When did you start saying, well, wait, let let me try this out School, you know, layer after layer in school. The first thing is you see if you can get family to laugh at the table. Sure, sure. And once you conquer that layer... I think you probably your first layer is a friend somewhere. Okay. And yeah. when there's the poker game in the next room, mm-hmm. cigar smoke and all that crap, and then they say you got to be quiet and you're sleeping in the room with the other friend. Mm-hmm. It's the one, your first joke is, you know, duty and then laughing because you're supposed to be quiet or <laughs> right. something like that. Right. And tushy or whatever. <laughs> Just You're doing what you're not supposed to do. You're practicing structured strategic disobedience to a, a set of instructions yeah yeah uh and then you work on okay i got my friend to laugh he got me to laugh but we're even here i gotta go where i'm an alpha somewhere mm-hmm. where not everyone's getting the same laugh sure, as me sure. so classroom where there's a bigger odd law of averages and odds that they won't all want to go for the laugh here because of mm-hmm. the consequences right right and so you <laughs> risk the consequences to get the girl to look at you yeah yeah and you try to do a joke then, and it's usually like a put-down joke or an sure. insult is what works there. It's and, and that is a beautiful art form, but for a kid, it's just the first layer of doing something wrong Yeah, and seeing that there's a laugh attached to it as opposed to the other wrong stuff. There's no laugh attached to the other wrong stuff. Right, right. Which wrong things get the laugh? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Test betting it, you know? Uh-huh. And then uh, I think the progression goes to... As soon as you've gotten a few classroom laughs, mm-hmm. you'll start to see, at least for me, who else was doing this. Yeah. And so beyond just a Jonathan Winters or something, I'd hear there's a Bob Newhart. Yeah. And I'd yeah. hear that there's all this, this range of other people. Mm-hmm. Jackie Mason, then, sure. you know, Richard Pryor, George Carlin. And I would start to refine and refine and refine what I thought you can only go so far doing everybody else's bit or, or acting kind of yeah. like them. Mm-hmm. That's a it's a footwork thing. Definitely, you, you start out taking the exact stance that your martial arts master 100%. tells you to hold, and then you adjust because of your knee and your hip and everything like that. You got to move it around like differently to fit you. Yeah, and that's why I say it takes ten years for a comedian to find his voice, is because it's that long for you to know your opinions, and your jokes don't work right if you don't know your opinion about a thing. For sure. For sure. It's not as good a sell as when you mean it, you know? Yeah. Did you listen to this album over and over and over, or was it a thing only when your dad put it on did you get a chance to listen to it? It was his record, yeah. but I, I heard it enough that it's really sunk into my head. Mm-hmm. Are there specific bits that are still... Oh, of... Robin Hood. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about... And he's talking like Lenny Bruce a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's really, like, hit these cats are swinging and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know... It's it's Hepcat talk, mm-hmm. but for its day, it's as bold as a lot of HBO would be today. Sure. You know, to those ears, then he Definitely. was saying very shocking things. He was doing jokes about jerking off in the back of the theater. <laughs> I'll be waiting back when she comes out. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Maid Marian to come out. I'll be waiting back. No, <laughs> and the, and when you hear it as a kid, you go, oh, that's why he just likes to sit back. Goes, yeah. No, he's in the back and he's going to be beaten off to Maid Marian during the play. And only as an adult do you realize what the song Turning Japanese means. Uh-huh. And, you know, right, and right. it's not just silly anymore. You're like, oh, there's a whole separate set of meanings to the whole thing. 
and uh, he he uh, <laughs> he wasn't always PC. Sure, certainly. Sure, but in his era, yeah, yeah, he was actually shooting Mitsubishi Zeros out of the sky from mm-hmm. the deck of his boat. You know, right, right, with a forty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I. He has his time and place. For sure. Definitely. Um, but he was very socially conscious about what was happening to the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And he had all kinds of interesting details about what's, you know, the and the Western scene, you know, where the, and the hero lands on a pillow because they need him for other stuff. <laughs> and it's like, if you read it, you go, that's not really like a joke. Right. It's just a description of a fact. Right. But his placement of a fact became the joke in such a genius way. You go, oh, that's where facts go in the bits. Right, right. Enormous moral compass adjustment training. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he always had, and he always had some human insight in there. Mm-hmm. It's funny when you hear so many people, I mean... I know that there are people of a younger generation who would have, and I, I don't always like to draw the comparison between Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams. It's kind of impossible not to, though. You know, so well, he loved. He was he, Robin and I bonded because we we started with a sort of centralized art father. Okay. Yeah. He was our art daddy. Yeah. The guy who made us think I can do this. Yeah. The yeah. same exact set of motivations hit him that hit me. Yeah. yeah. Same time frame. Yeah. But. How- that's what blows my mind is to think that maybe I could do this. That just it seems oh, so you know impossible. How many? To me. Look at the list. Look up the list of the amount of comics that said that it was because of Jonathan. Yeah. That they think they can do it. Yeah. But a guy just... having that much fun is what it was. Okay. He looks like he's having that much fun. They said he went, and they could tell you, yeah, but he went crazy, and you go, I don't care. Yeah. Look at the fun he's having in this moment. <laughs> right. I'll go through all the other shit he went through just yeah. for that moment. Mm-hmm. I'll trade off a lot of my other life, my conventional nine to five year life, to taste that. I just want to taste that. Yeah, that is the fountain of goodness and youth. Mm-hmm. And he, and as a fountain of youth, uh, as a man who was battling with decrepitude from diabetes and things like yeah. that. Yeah, he had a childlike glint and sparkle <laughs> yeah. in the eye. And yeah. if you don't take that away, I think you win regardless of how you go out. Right. Right. You're the winner because you've seen people are all fit, but the eyes gone and ugh, the faces. Yeah, reading there's nobody really driving this thing anymore. Yes, not an interesting person anymore. Right, that's dead. You're dead. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, he was alive. He still had it. He was alive in a way that I think he could be alive right now. Right. That twinkle could live on. It's living on in us. Absolutely, certainly. absolutely. We took the twinkle. Yeah. The thing that blows my mind is when, you know, you're an actor and, you know, you yourself an actor with so many damn credits to your name. I owe a lot of that to those, to Sellers and to Jonathan for all the voices and things. Because the reason I get a broader range of some things is because I can act more like a different kind of guy. And I'm not just selling Rick every time. Right, right. I can be a southern guy or a British guy or whatever character guy. Yeah. And he just did it at the speed of light. That's just it. It's like it's it's so funny that you know people knew him for that, but obviously when you saw him stick to one character, he could just take all that energy, bundle it up and just put it into this one character and it kind of came to life. Same same with I think again, any actor that that kind of took that from him, you know, where you can bundle all that energy that you might normally use to just go off in a million different directions and put it into one really good characterization about six guys coming in screening me all these psychiatrists little pads you know why did you say that <laughs> oh i don't know i'm a robin redbreast <laughs> oh that's too bad no i changed my mind blue jay 
How's that? Oh, God, worse, you know. I had him going. I had one guy. He's taking extra courses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Told him toward the end when I left, put a dress on the wig. I misses Woodrow Wilson. Good luck to all of you. Oh, shook them bad. They were all... They didn't know the wig and or salute, you know. Wild scene. Wild scene. But I, I learned a lot. Learned a lot. Had to cool it. <laughs> oh, I had a little fatigue during the war. That didn't come out, see. Good thing. Oh, I had about, uh, about six months. You know, just walking around the yard with a little broom and everything. But that got me out. <laughs> um, a little different then. This thing got me in. So, you know. See, can't get around you. Pay off sooner or later. But at any rate, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, I was talking about movies. <laughs> you know, that's the trouble with a schizophrenic, the thing split, and then when you get the thing together, you don't know where you are, Daddy. <laughs> uh, I was reading a book by some woman here the other day. I forget what it was, a secret life of a schizophrenic man. It threw me, man. I put the thing down because I didn't want to go back in the zoo, you know. <laughs> and uh, But this kid got a book out. That ain't bad, you know, to sell your troubles and bug other people. But, um, you know, this gambling out here, I don't know how you're doing. I did pretty badly. But I failed mathematics in school. He's standing out there at the table, you know, all right, I'm the combat number 16 coming out there. That's all, fella. <laughs> what do you mean, that's all? I had... That's all, buddy. Oh, I didn't see you, Tiny. Mm-hmm. That's kidding. Go into the bathroom, fella. See you around. <laughs> On my way, buddy. But I, I stick with those machines, you know, because I know fruit when I see it, you know. All you have to... Oh, yeah, keep pulling them, man. Them little cherries on there. I know them. I picked them. Look at how many... Look at really smart, good people believed in him. Look at the way Rod Serling believed in him. Sure, sure. And a little battle over what... who Can he, but can he really act? Can right. he... You know, but mm-hmm. can he this, but can he that? Watch this. Yeah. And it, now, game changer, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you... I mean, obviously, it becomes more of a craft... Uh, after you've admired somebody like him for a long time and you, you as a kid you're just trying to be goofy and maybe you are definitely trying to imitate him trying to be rapid fire yourself but do you remember any specific moment or a specific thing that made you realize i really have to i really have to condense this into something that works for me i can't do that specifically but what is something that works for me just look at your do a do a video with a friend mm mm-hmm. mhm and do some acting on camera mm-hmm. and say your lines mm-hmm. and look how big you made it yeah yeah and you realize oh this video thing blows me up to gigantic size right i can i can tone down because they always the, the saying was on stage it's what you're doing mm-hmm. but on camera it's what you're thinking sure sure and your eyes are the the things that give you the the dynamic and the motion more than you're wagging your arms around for the cheap seats in a theater. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it, that's this. It's what you learn in time. Sure. But the ideas still commit to an interesting character. And every once in a while, you'll see someone do like a pretty big character on camera. And <laughs> yeah. the trick is, goes a Gilgood said, acting is fine. Just don't get caught. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Is it? I mean, do you ever still get tempted to to want to go big and then just say, oh no 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 no. Calm down. You've got work to do here. Well, I'll <laughs> practice one in my dressing room like that. Yeah. Look in the mirror. Well, what would I think if I saw that playback, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, so, but it, and when it's a joke, mm-hmm. that's always the trickiest one. Because you'll sure. see a guy still do a big thing for a joke, and it's okay. What? Charlie, Day goes like this for a joke. I, I, 
<laughs> and it works because his voice yes. it's this frequency uh-huh that you die just from the frequency of his voice hitting it. Right. He can say like anything in that voice, and it's like, it's a you you laugh your ass off. So mm-hmm. he's given like a thing that he probably thought at first in his life was a curse. Mm-hmm. Turned mm-hmm. out to be this massive money making blessing for him. Yeah, and I think that's a great note for all comic actors: is your flaws will become your best friends, and what makes you perfect is a yawning bore. Yes. Yes. And people will move on from you. The mm-hmm. thing that you've worked the hardest on in the mirror, they will just say, next. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't remind them of them anymore. Right, right. I have nothing but little flaws, you know. Sure. So I, I consider myself an imperfectionist. <laughs> that's a goal I can reach every day. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, that becomes the mark of the character actor, to use a term that some people maybe don't like to hear, but it, it's, uh, it's those things that make people such as yourself stick out in in even if it's a quote-unquote small part oh, you know you know uh and i you know actually it it, it makes me think of a you know I'm, I'm not i act on occasion but when i was first trying and starting in in college i remember there was i actually had to do a scene from the odd couple and i had to direct it and my direction was oh there are these two toy guns laying around let's do this entire scene uh, as if we've got guns to each other's faces and we're going to kill each other. And honestly, the other guy was not much of an actor before, and we did the whole scene just like a million times above where it should have been, and then we brought it back down immediately because, you know, again, you can see well, where you just were. going big is where you find your business. Yeah. And then you edit, pick, and choose what big thing could, would be workable smaller. Yeah. You have to create a thousand separate desktop files. Yeah, yeah. And... Add enough RAM that you can leave them all up and running while you're doing the scene. Mm -hmm. And you may have to adjust during an improv. Because doing improv in an acting scene, Mm -hmm. you are writing, directing, acting, editing, producing, all at the speed of light. Yeah. And it's good to have some previous sets of muscles... Right. That are a foundation. So, you know, you want to do all the fancy midair spinning, kicking stuff, but if your footing's no good, you'll, you come down and break your leg when you do it. <laughs> right. You never land right. With with somebody like Jonathan Winters, I know it's going to be a bit of conjecture, but do you do you know what it took to rank, to rein him in? To get him to get the kind of performance that wasn't... Like, I'm just curious. Like, it was He's just, a smart man. He knew. Yeah. You know, I think he did some things that called for it i think in mad 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 sure, world it could definitely. not have been one bit smaller than what he did right it right. was a hell's a pop and vaudevillian movie definitely yeah and it had to be exactly he's ripping he's breaking apart his entire gas station by hand you yes. know yeah which is awesome oh yeah yeah <laughs> throwing arnold staying through a wall you can't go wrong with that scene <laughs> so it's gotta be huge on the bike children's bicycle um and other uh, work, he he has to bring it down, and he does. He knows it. He knew his stuff. Yeah. You know, he really. We sat and talked about acting and and what the movie business is like these days, and what it used to be like. And right. How much of a contribution he made to things, and it was great. When you did know. you first actually get to meet him? Uh, in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, for a special called On the Ledge on Showtime, and I'm at the very end doing a sketch with him, and That's I finally amazing. got to be in a scene with him and we have a little bit of it shows up and I was just my blood was tingling and Uh uh my heart was racing and I was uh, bouncing around like a kid all day afterwards because I felt like a circle had been closed but at that point it had not really been closed yeah no it's only later with the uh, 
meeting him through Dan Pasternak again mm-hmm. and Paul Provenza mm-hmm. arranging for me to sort of be on the show, mm-hmm. uh, the green room with yeah. him, which was a huge honor for me. Uh-huh. Uh, incredible. You'll notice I don't talk much because I'm just like, oh, <laughs> what is Robert Klein going to say? What's Jonathan going to say? I'm, I'm here during this. <laughs> Klein is another huge hero of mine. Yeah. Robert was, uh, is, uh, he was, he was another guy that helped me a lot Yeah, in the early days, got me on Letterman and, you know, good man and we're still friends. So another huge influence in, in amount of detail you put into what you're saying and make it a joke, Robert Klein. Yeah. You do highly detailed blueprint like descriptions of a situation yeah. and find that as funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, by its ironic placement and circumstance, yeah. you know mm-hmm. that was great recipe, great math. Yeah. Do you uh, before you hit it and really became a working actor? Was there something that you considered yourself more before? Were you like, well, I mean, was it just I'm an actor, or was it I'm a, I'm a comedy person, or I'm an I'm a comedian. Guy? I'm a comedian. Yeah. And then that's... comedian getting acting. Mm-hmm. And then comedian, actor, mm-hmm. and now I'm sort of uh, an actor who gets a little comedy work every now and then. <laughs> right, right, okay. That's is it, it. Is that by nature, or do you feel like you have to define yourself to find priority, keep your priorities straight, or your priorities kept straight by the economy? Yeah, okay, all right, because that's circumstantially adjusted. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, same planet, brother. Right, right. Uh, so. After you listened to that album, did you go out of your way to pick up his stuff, or were you just watching him on TV and waiting to watch Watching him on TV, uh, I was too young to really go out and pick up a ton of stuff, but Dad would get it, you know, and he got his other stuff and all the other albums, but that was my first one. It's the one that when I go, and I close my eyes and picture him holding the masks. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That album cover to sit in there in Dad's big collection. Yeah. Then he had the button-down mind. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. And I only years later found out about the raging battle on who had the phone bit between him oh, and Shelly. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. I know. That's the other... It, uh, it kind of like... You took my phone angle. <laughs> Which is so strange to me, because they both had their own takes on it, you know? Uh, it's yeah, the, well, the, you know, and it's an old vaudeville preset. Mm-hmm. Of when they first came out with the phone, everyone was doing it like we do cell phone jokes. Right. Was trying to get a little girl on the phone and get your mommy on the phone, and mm-hmm. that was like kind of we knew this angle, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but then, I, I think once you you're a comedian who's known for it and then televised or whatever sure. it is, it changes the the time stamping of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't always mean that the guy who got it on TV first is the guy who wrote the joke first. Definitely. Someone some people have access to TV. Yeah. And just yank a joke and use it. Yeah. And you've got people around you making you feel like you must have invented it. You must have been the first person because you're so good and famous. And look at your record sales. I mean, the man, I mean, it's undeniable how huge Who? that album was, Newhart. I, you know what I mean? Like, he, I feel like he, you know, yeah, he, he was probably no made to feel like, even if he didn't feel that originally. I don't have the insight as to who sure. wishes the chicken and the egg on this oh, one. Oh, yeah, I just no, remember hearing that this, this issue came up. I was like, oh, well, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. In this business, that's going to happen. We, you know, if we can live through our different eras of the famous thief mm-hmm. things, you know, and yep. then you meet him. And it's, I remember I did a show once, this is in the late 80s or very early 90s, when Sammy Shore opened up a comedy room uh, in the marina, Del uh-huh. Rey. Okay. It was in a seafood restaurant, and they had one room put away. Put a mic in there. 
And I got down there, and Milton Berle came on at the end of the night. Holy shit. And he's that interesting sort of daughter, 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 <laughs> get to the mic, boom, how's everybody doing? <laughs> Energy just goes, whoosh, using all generators, you know? Yeah. Ah, great. And he did a reference to everyone's act sequentially. Holy shit. With his own joke on our joke that topped our joke. Oh my god. Capped it off and it's like he whipped his dick out. <laughs> See, that's longer than the combined length of all your dicks, you know? There was a there was a thing about him where, you know, people obviously notoriously had a huge file, huge joke file, but I mean that's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is what he could pull from without needing the file. That was the him. thing I'm talking about. He improvised this stuff it's or insane. he was able to instantly rewrite old stuff and retrofit to new mm -hmm. circumstance and but get that he remembered everybody in order. Yeah. He was talking about this, he did a thing about that. Well, I'll tell you about this kid and, we're, and it was just jaws <laughs> thumping to the floor. He took the night and standing ovation and it you know and it's like as a cocky kid you want to half of your head may be saying oh yeah well i'll show you all man but the other half of your head's going you know you're not going to be a young guy forever yeah you you'd be so lucky you have one of these moments when you're older yes yeah and uh, the older i get the more i see the value of that uncle milty moment he was Seriously. showing us this is your future if you're lucky you little yeah. shit yeah, yeah yeah my god that's mind-blowing to me and then another parental older guy, like Jonathan, was very parental, grand grandfatherly yeah. with us, you know. Yeah. Suddenly through the forest, they hear the sound of horns, you know. It's the king's men, a group of horny men coming through the forest. <laughs> well, I hope I didn't, uh, you know. Oh, let's face it, friends, you know, when you're working for the government, you get horny. And, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh... They come through and they've got sort of these sheet metal things on it, sort of a riding sheet metal shop is what it is, and they're riding along, you know. And uh, suddenly these cats swing out of the trees and their little arrows bouncing off the sheet metal and they stab a couple of, ah, get off me. And uh, somebody invented gunpowder, and uh, but they didn't get it. So then little John, they meet after they get all these guys on the ground. And little John comes over to Robin and he says, Robin, Robin, Princess Mary Louise is over in the castle. And he's, yeah, crazy. So um, they throw all the beef into the fireplace and, you know, stomp it out because Smokey the Bear doesn't dig fires. And they jump on this horse and, and it's a borrowed horse. And uh, Robin's on there with about six other guys, so you can imagine how the horse is, you know, kind of bent down and skids in there. So Robin looks up and he sees Princess Mary Louise Louise in this great castle, man. It's too much. Great big thing. It's paper mache, but the kids don't know that. You know, they're eating their Clark bars there, you know. Oh, boy, that. And I'm way in the back row and I'm waiting for the princess to come out. And uh, she does. She comes out in sort of this dirty gray muslin dress, you know. And sneakers kind of turned inboard. And uh, Robin's been in the forest a little long, though, and he checks her over a big bed. And not too much, you know, long braids, sort of a Nordic kid. And not too much upstairs, but from here on down, gangbusters. <laughs> and, uh... Was he happy to pass the torch in a way? I mean, he kept going, like you said, but, like, was he happy to pass the torch to, to a younger generation of guys? I... I would have to assume in some form, yes, he didn't put it that way, because yeah. he was too busy juggling the torch. Yeah, yeah. He was busy with it up until the day he died yeah. and he doesn't need to hand you a torch he goes make your own torch that's what improv is invent your torch yes 
Yeah. So you don't need to take it from me. You got you got enough from me already. Right. You know? I don't know enough about honestly. Now now that we're th- talking about, it, I don't know enough about his training and where he came from. You know, and it would be and it. I would assume that he must have given you. Well, some he was just goofing around in the Marines. There's a photo of him as this skinny kid. Yeah. It looks like he's on the lower deck of one of his ships, and they're uh-huh. putting on a show. Huh. And. He's with his teeth, you know, doing that. But he's a skinny kid with this gigantic round head. Yeah. And a black and white photo, and he's in his full marine garb, mm-hmm. and he's doing a show. And yeah. it's sort of like Sellers was with the RAF. Mm-hmm. He was doing shtick in the RAF in World War Two. Yeah. I can't. I just, and that's a thing I just can't relate to. There's no draft in my era. It's you know I didn't have to face anything like that. At the same time, when I wanted, to, I knew I wanted to be funny, and that's all I wanted to do. All I want to do is comedy. All I want to do is acting. What did you study? Uh, I went to film school, which is the most useful studying you can possibly do. That's not it true is, at all. If, if <laughs> it's you, helpful. If you want it to get helpful. an FOD, it is. Yes, right. That is true. That is true. But And that is where it's heading. Mm-hmm. You may you don't always know why your life guides you down these things. Why did I study that? And it's only right. years later. How the hell did I know to study that back then? Right. Because now I need it. Yeah. Yeah. And it only came up <laughs> in my fifties or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's but it, again, I was lucky because I didn't have this other thing to sort of force me to realize. No, I really should stick with comedy. Or I, you know, I didn't have, a, I didn't have a thing to need to be pulled out. Of. I didn't have a war where I needed to make myself feel bad. You know what I mean? I didn't have any of that to deal with. So I just wonder how different that was for that generation of guys. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Again, we, it's only conjecture. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't. You know, I didn't quiz him about what training sure. he had. He told me about the way his parents treated him and stuff like. That. I think he had another form of harsh life schooling. Yeah, that he retreated to invent his own friends from. Makes sense. Yeah, his own, only kid, and his parents were ice cold, mm-hmm. chilly folk, and so he made nice, fun people. Yeah, keep them happy. It, you hear about it? Oh, yeah, one of those cliche stories. It wasn't a cliche when he did it. Sure, sure. That was necessity yeah. when he did it. Yeah. People treat sensitivity like it's generational, as though people from his era were just all just like. Well, they party. treat sensitivity as weakness. Yes. Now. Right. Uh, when the exact 180 opposite is true. Mm-hmm. It's your greatest strength. If I'm strong enough to be vulnerable near you, mm-hmm. I'm exhibiting it because I know even if I exhibit it, you can't hurt me. Right. Right. It's. You hide your vulnerability because you know you're a weak bitch, <laughs> and life will slap it out of your hand, and you'll have nothing to retreat to because there's not enough of you as a personality to form around it. The yeah. whole, yeah, and it, and I, I, I think that the sensitive people are the heroes mm-hmm. because they can sense the pain of others. Mm-hmm. They're not dead inside. Mm-hmm. It's the height of bravery. It's not a gun rack. Sure. It's the opposite of a gun rack. You have the gun rack. All I have are access to how I feel. Yeah. Right. And I have, in human evolution terms, the greater of the two things. Right. Because the other stuff is based off of fear. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, I, I may get shot, but so might they. Right. Right. And I think someone who has access to their feelings is forestalling cancer. Mm-hmm. For stalling a heart attack, mm-hmm. for stalling a nervous breakdown, yeah. for perhaps their entire long ass happy life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the sensitive ones, the art, you have to be sensitive to be an artist. Sure. To be a good one, mm-hmm. or you're crap. Yes. And you're a fraud. Mm-hmm. 
the sensitive artist senses what's going around in their environment. It's like you take a bug and you cut their antenna off and go, oh, now he's a badass bug. Right. Because <laughs> now his radar grid is down. Yeah. And he's left with this tiny, beaten up, not very bright imagination to fill in all the blanks. Yeah. As opposed to sensing live time real data around you, which is what your sensitivities are. Yeah. They're like all those printouts that go on on the Dow mm -hmm. on, on right. CNBC, you know, underneath the bottom of the screen. It's live feed traffic, weather, whatever it is, it's what's going around in your environment and in the, in the emotions around you, which is your environment. Yeah. And people relate to you when you do that correctly because you read their vibe mm -hmm. intuitively and you made a piece of artwork that speaks to it and they may not be able to put a word to it, but they know they love what you did. Yeah. Yeah. That's the mechanics of why you stay sensitive. That's the part your brain needs to hear, the logic in your brain for why do we need it? I'm the boss now. Nah, you're fucking, you're a, a data file. Mm -hmm. Shut the fuck up, data <laughs> file. I'll call on you when I need you. Emotions steer this. Yeah. That's, or at least, if not emotions, a sensing of, a gut sense. And beware anyone that tells you, oh, you're one of those people that uses your instincts. I need facts. Just steer clear of them. <laughs> they're not ready for a conversation with you yet. Right. Uh, but your gut is the real genius. Mm -hmm. Your gut will save you. Your brain will remember it a quarter of a second later and take credit for it because right. it doesn't know any better. Your brain is basically like an iPhone. iPhone stored billions of things from the past. It can't make a new thing. Right. Right. That's good. That's good. Do you... Um, can you remember... Because, like you said, when you're a kid, you just want to be funny. You just want to get a laugh. That can that can motivate you and maybe pull you through a lot, <laughs> through a lot of your life for some people. But yeah. then, to have that artistic sensitivity on top of it, to really be able to call yourself an actor. I mean, how early were you able to access that part of you? Because some people can just play, quote unquote, just play a, an emotion without really drawing from it as much because they've seen other people play an emotion they can mimic it very well but how do you how do you pull from yourself to do that is it just is was it natural for you or do you have a very specific training do you did you have a specific teacher or i studied at herbert Berghoff studios in mm. new york uh just a great acting teacher out here in la brian reese r-e-i-s-e three two three nine three nine nine three nine eight i believe is still his number if that's wrong get the new number mm -hmm. brian reese cold reading acting class he was instrumental to me yeah and doing improv scenes was instrumental to me because i think studying improv where you have to work nice with others is the part that will help you overcome some of your sort of animalistic, ruthless skill sets you, you built yourself as a comic sure. for self-protection aren't always the best servants in a setting for uh, playing with other cast members. Definitely. And if you learn that part, then a casting person goes, oh, I can point a camera at you mm -hmm. and you can make me the hero. Yeah. Which uh, you want. So it's important to be known by other improvers. When they get a movie, they go, oh, who, who's going to be your Mitch Silpa and Ben Falcone you pull in? Right, right. Who've been like players for years, yeah. but we're stars, but we knew them, and now we're going to help make them stars. Mm -hmm. it's, it would not have happened as easily were they not all groundlings together. Right, definitely. 
so after you heard, let's okay. So Jonathan Winters, obviously, you mentioned Bob Newhart were there. George I mean, Carlin. Carlin. Uh, Word play. What was? I didn't know so many things could be done with just twisting the reality. Yeah. He he blew my mind with suggesting that we just tamper with words mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I've mm-hmm. never heard anyone do that like that. Want to fuck with someone's head? Do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, just <laughs> right. Yeah. And saying things that were feeling like no one is talking about this, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wow, mind blowing realization kind of stuff, just mm-hmm. hidden in humor, like Mark. And then, in, you know, it was right around then I was also into Mark Twain. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Mark Twain was a great social satirist, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think he's probably as close to the first stand-up that we recognize as a, in our modern format as a stand-up. Definitely. Don't Definitely. you think? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I, I've it never... There's got to be transcripts of some of the stuff he did. Yes, yeah. There, there are. I mean, and, I know that... And you read it, and it's the most... It's a bit oratory, because it mm-hmm. had to be. Sure. But it was the most, like, not just vaudeville something, you know, a mm-hmm. recognizable joke that you just trade out and say this just happened to you on the way over, <laughs> right. something with your wife, and all super recognizable yeah. jokes and no recognizable materials, insights into stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a new it was a new step. My uncle Willard had this uh, used pet shop. It was uh, for used pets, and um, yeah, there's always something wrong with them, you know, and. Uh, so a guy came in one day and he said, uh, how much is the doggy in the window? <laughs> that doggy out there in front? That dog run you a dollar. A dollar for a dog? Isn't that a little unusual? No. I don't know whether you noticed or not, he ain't got no claws on his right paw. Serve a conversation, please. <laughs> yes, no, I wouldn't want that. What the devil's that over there? Oh, that's an owl. I can give you him for 375. You wouldn't know it, he ain't got no feathers on his body. I got him down Biloxi and there was a storm come up or something, blew all his feathers off. And uh, I've got purple feathers and chartreuse and what you can do is put a little slick them on his belly and paste them on there, you know, and put him there in the parlor and... <laughs> That's conversation piece like a dog. <laughs> yeah, I see. Oh, listen, incidentally, don't put your finger in that bowl. No, the reason I... Oh, took your finger off, didn't it? <laughs> Oh, God, you know, it's a funny thing. We never have to feed that fish nothing. There's always some clown like yourself putting his finger in the bowl. <laughs> Took it right off, didn't he? <laughs> oh, I bet that's smart, don't it? Mm, that's a prania. Them things hit anything. Hit anything. <laughs> got him in the Amazon River. I never got it. Some guy dropped off here one day <laughs> over at the bait shop. Listen, I'll tell you what I can do. Um, I can give you that kangaroo over there for ten and a half. Come all the way from Australia. Most of them do. Uh, I got him as far as Muncie, and he fell off a flat car and broke his tail. Now, you know, most of them sit back there on their tails like this. But this one, you got to lean him again some. <laughs> oh, I don't believe I'd want that. I guess not. Listen, I've got a bull constrictor here. It's pregnant. I can give you that, and uh, there's white rats free. You want to see it? I'll let it out here. Oh, careful. Oh, Lord. Ma, come in here. That snake up and swallowed another customer. That's the kind of thing I don't know if you can get away with as much. You can't be uh, outwardly intellectual. 
on i mean i don't think if you were to be a stand-up today and be outwardly intellectual without having some other trick or gimmick to make people to make people forget that you are an intellectual but you are saying intellectual things not to say that people are stupid but people are definitely sold a lot of stupid shit you know it's true i because he wasn't intellectual, but he was also this guy from Missouri, so he probably sounded just comfortingly mis- Midwestern. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, Will Rogers was very good at that. Yeah, right. There we go. There's a, that's that's the other sample of it. Um, he had he had the fake humble down perfect there. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was some actual humble in there, but a lot sure. of it was just set up and behind there, the feather duster was one coiling right. You know, <laughs> fist coming back for a pop but he would do it in a very gentle way yeah and uh, a lot of backhanding and mm-hmm. it was a real kung fu master kind of way of doing it i thought yeah smart um will durst is great that yeah. way right he plays both sides um i mean even george carlin was kind of disarmingly hippie-ish he was a hippie for sure but it was still disarming and he still had a like a really strong and when he was younger he was more of this playful elf yeah definitely and the older he got the more he's this sort of uh, war warlock wizard master uh gandalf you know stomping his staff (laughs) to the ground and boulders falling apart it's perfect (laughs) that that i mean his is an evolution you got pissed you had to listen oh yeah He'd earn oh, yeah. the right to whatever he's mad at. You shut the fuck up and listen to what he's mad about. Yeah. It's probably doing you a favor. You just got to keep your yap shut and listen. <laughs> I just want to know how long it was was boiling in him, you know, to be the straight-laced guy in a suit. Yeah. You know, first doing a, a two-man yeah. group and then himself in a suit and then... Everybody no. go see Kelly Carlin's oh, so Carlin good. Home Companion. It's so good. You, did you love this show? Oh, it was did amazing. We, did it blow your mind, all the stories Kelly tells oh, yeah. about how... And it all starts them, oh, it all makes sense. Right. It all adds right. up yeah. in such a perfect way. Oh. You must, if she's doing it anywhere near you or, or semi-near you, you just your life is just a little suck you're having not done it. Yeah, yeah. It's mind-blowing. I, yeah. I, it made me so... I mean, I teared up a few times, too. It was just, yeah, you got to go see... And Kel has a great uh, Waking from the American Dream mm-hmm. uh, radio Purple. show. This show's great. Uh, very smart goodness there. I, I mm-hmm. love when genetics work. Yeah, I know. She's I nature mean, and nurture. It was both at definitely. once, you know. She carries on that torch, and uh, not. And again, I will still point out as I did when she did our show. She has a. She's got a great uh, voice for swearing. She says "fuck" like nobody's business. It just makes me so happy. Like that's just so pleasing to me. <laughs> you know, she's caught that, and that's uh, that's good. But yeah, her show. Yeah, oh, I so love good. it. He, he he would make such gleeful. <laughs> it would make it so pleasant. He'd always you know when he'd call me, he'd go hello douchebag. <laughs> What's the latest fuck face? <laughs> See, I, and I, <laughs> I got introduced to him by my parents. You know, the, the record was sitting around. They didn't give a shit what I listened to for the most part. You know, they didn't want me to watch anything violent, but if somebody swore their their mouth off, it didn't matter. I, I wish I had been there for when it, it was something new. What was the first thing you actually heard of his? Of Carlin? When were you first aware of him? Oh, I saw him do Hippy Dippy on TV. Okay, there you go. But then... He was still I kind of straight about, then. I saw, uh, I heard AMFM, okay. and it was a little bit of a game changer <laughs> right. from the, uh, like, he is joking about hippies here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He went from joking about a hippie yeah. to becoming the hippie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> times they are a-changing. <laughs> Seriously. Um, actually, I, I'm curious because Jonathan was an old enough man to have seen so many different cultural changes. Do you know that any any of them, like... I mean, was he a bit of a hippie? 
He was like a beatnik. He was a beatnik. He was a hip guy. Yeah. But he's a former Marine. He's yeah. American and a man. Still, still six with you, I suppose. And But with a great... You know, what we call a conservative today is right. this unrecognizable, out-of-control yeah. thing that my grandmother would storm out of one of their meetings saying, what have you done to the party yeah, right. of Lincoln? Right. That she was sort of adhering to when, you know, she was born in 1896. Shit. And a, a Republican was still kind of like the... The moral one, then, yeah, you know, because it was a Dixiecrat back then, right? Yeah, totally. And then they switched, especially around LBJ with all of the him doing, you know, the Great Society. They mm. all, well, the hell with you if you're going to be like that with the <laughs> the the black people. Then we're going to switch parties, yeah. and that's right yeah. around yeah. when it did. And that's when Nixon started the Southern Strategy, right? To just say, well, then we'll just cut them off and make them relive the Civil War forever to keep the country divided while we rob them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I. It, it, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess in these transitional times, you know, mm-hmm. I have marker people mm-hmm. that really like jumped out, and I'm so lucky I got to meet so many of them. I met Pryor. I met oh. Carlin. I met Tim Leary. We became friends. Oh my God. I met Kurt Vonnegut. Jesus. Uh. <laughs> It's got to, I mean, even just meeting those people has got to... John Lennon I met. Oh, I lived a couple God. blocks away from him in New York. Holy shit. It's got to leave this weird these. imprint on you, right? I mean, even well, just meeting... You know what's cool to see is just see him shopping as a human. Yeah. Shopping. Yeah. And then your brain will never completely process you could get up and play big, too. Right. Until you see the humanity of the ones that do. Sure. Sure. Because otherwise you're going to... Yeah, you're trying to live up to something that doesn't make any sense. You to make you. a god out of someone, yeah. and you, well, how, yeah, but that's the thing I can't be. That's the thing I have a painting of over my bed, but mm-hmm. I'm, never, I'm not going to be the one in the painting. Right. Uh, until you see him shopping. <laughs> right. Or taking a piss or something. Like, oh, look at that. I see. All right. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. I, I think thematically, some people look at Jonathan Winter's work. Obviously, he's very schizophrenic, despite the man being able to keep keep it all together and as you say if whatever it was yeah. that kept him alive for so I mean the work is schizophrenic is all... you know a lot of people use that word schizophrenia yeah but it's not schizophrenia is not multiple personality sure. sure it is paranoid schizophrenia is fabricating beliefs that seem incredibly real right to you in that moment mm-hmm. and he may have had moments of that mm-hmm but he found like the one pure healthiest way to process oh, that kind of malady right. of anyone I've ever heard of in the existence of humanity. Mm-hmm. You figured out how to make them all pay the bills, and that's why yeah. we come back to I tell you, young students of this, embrace your flaws because yep. they're the only things that make Michael interesting on the office. Yep, they're the only things that make Will Ferrell make his late lead characters like. Cordry or Fred Willard mm-hmm. or McBride. Mm-hmm. They're owning their flaws. Yeah. It's your gold mine. Do not attack them. Yeah. Figure out how to put them to work. They all want to work for you because they're going, we're stuck. Yeah. We're not going away. Yeah. You're hating us for these little, these are just the dents in your fender and this right. is just the fuck what your car is. And we don't want to be hated. Just for, We're still just trying to get down the street like the rest of the us, this mm-hmm. single being we're in. And why are you fighting this one part? 
because uh, you didn't have an art form you could put it into. Right. And if you can put it into that art form, you will start to love these traits in yourself. You will back off of yourself subconsciously sure. and psychologically when you realize they're paying your bills and <laughs> they will back off because they know, all right, you ran me in the park. I don't have to chew up the sofa now. <laughs> That's perfect. It's the therapy where they pay you. Yeah. Do you, is it a is it a matter of I found a part that oh that calls for something that I know I can draw from and that'll help me or is it I don't know what's in here that I can use let me pull from myself and put that into the character. Well, you got to I a mean, little bit or it's you know you got to have a little bit of yourself in there. Yeah. And some of it's an impression. Sure. But even a really good impression is one where you pulled some stuff. No matter what, there's more to you than the TV will ever tell you there is. For sure. It's not the TV's job to know. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. your job to know. Yeah. And the trick to knowing is experiment with things and see which parts of those things in your life you liked and you didn't like. And improv is that at the speed of light. Yeah. Do you? Does it help when you're reading a part that's maybe not written? It's just too much of a stereotype, or it's flat. Yeah. Do, it does it. It's got to be more relaxing for you to play that part if you can pull from something that's within you, right, and make it more natural that way. Yeah, well, it's, I, I have some certificate guarantee of its authenticity because mm -hmm. I remember experiencing some variant of it. Yeah. So I, it doesn't feel in my bones like, ah, I'm just making this bullshit up from scratch. Sure, <clears throat> sure. And some of you have to because I But even as a pirate or whatever, mm -hmm. you got to have something that, you know, your leg is griping you the way... His leg is great, but anyway, your leg gripes you or whatever. Right, right. You got to bring something to it. But I find that your brain knows a lot of this, mm -hmm. and your gut knows a lot of this. Yeah. And a lot of times, you don't need to act. You just need to read those lines a bunch of times. Yeah. You're sorting it the whole time somewhere. There's a, there's like rows of desks of people in your head working on sorting out each word for its meaning so that when you say it, you'll kind of know what it means. Mm-hmm. If this was a scene, an acting scene with an over my shoulder and an over your shoulder, mm -hmm. and I'm just I'm playing a guy on a podcast talking about this stuff, and you're just honestly listening and reacting, right? And when I point it out, you change because I'm pointing it out. <laughs> you laugh because then I pointed out that I pointed it out. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The camera would be mostly on you because it's such an interesting performance, right? But it's not huge, right? And it really looks like it's really listening because you actually are, right? What, what they don't know is that we're both pointing guns at one another right now, though. That's why this scene is so fascinating <laughs> now. You fixed the scene. <laughs> F you! Son of a bitch. <laughs> it took me a week to figure out it meant Felix Unger! Fuck. That is my favorite line. That might be top five, top five favorite lines of all time. Oh, my God. Speaking of which, my co-producer on this show just played Felix. I saw him the other day. She Where? Just, just put, it, put that out. Uh, Skyway Playhouse in okay. Way Too Far Away. Yeah. <laughs> way too far from me. It's great. It's a nice little... Oh, that's a great show. Yeah. Oh, God. It was... It's an indelible show. Oh, I know. The older I get, the funnier that shit gets, too, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How old are you now? 33. <laughs> the Christ age. Yeah, right. Hey, I know. <laughs> Looking at my watch. That's sure. it. <laughs> Better get out there and start sawing. <laughs> Keep this thing on schedule. <laughs> if you have any suggestions and want to put together a little situation, I'll wing it, you know, and ad lib it up here, which is uh, something different for performers. And if you, if you think of something, you know, you something that you've seen in a movie, something from history, uh, something from art, something from life. 
<laughs> Sounds like Galen Drake. Um, <laughs> no, do you have any uh, suggestions? Mm. The cover street bit. The cover street bit? Ivy Leaguer. Ivy Leaguer? All right. Little old lady in a bus. Little old lady in a bus. All righty. On an airplane. On an airplane? All right. This is a situation where there are two pilots. One guy's a little hungover. And the other fella has the GIs. <laughs> I really don't know which is worse. Hi, Ed, how's it going? My God, I got the green apple quick step last night. I drank some beer out there in Milwaukee and it'd like to set me free, buddy. I had to stay in the room all night and watch television. I just didn't do a darn thing. Well, I don't feel too good myself. I'm sick, juiced it up all night, sat over there at the airplane bar, and well, we've got a lot of people aboard. What's that, stewardess? Yeah, okay, honey. All right, all right. I can't understand him. I don't know. Is he juiced too? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain. I'd rather not give my last name. Uh, we're going to be uh, delayed about 20 minutes. God, I hate to tell him that. They always boo and everything. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Uh, we're kind of socked in, and uh, we didn't want to take off, but it's the company has been on us. Did you have any trouble? You you couldn't. I mean, uh, listening to that to to the Jonathan Winters album, like you're probably able to picture everything, right? And all mm -hmm. from all there's from his voice. There's a couple of gags. There's a couple of guesses on for sound effects. Hey, 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 hey. And you picture this guy on fire, and he's he's yeah, doing yeah. slapping himself. Hey, 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 hey. I don't, and I don't have that album, so I apologize. Is it like, is it heavily produced, or is it just him and a mic? It's him live. Oh, him live. Okay, God. See, it's not a, it's not a sound it, see, studio what, uh, with sound mixing anything see, like that's that. That's what's crazy to me. No, so some of it's <laughs> visual, and you have to sure. you do yourself a big favor. Everybody who's listening, you go on YouTube and you look for Jonathan Winters' "The Stick." Okay. And he just takes a stick and starts improvising. Oh my God. And at a, on the Tonight Show, and it's at a time when no one had, you don't give permission for someone to just take an object and start no. playing. He broke so many rules and God. made it so okay for us all to goof around. Yeah. He, like, he did sort of what the Rat Pack did for just mm -hmm. l showing how loose and tie undone. Mm -hmm. They were the guys that started to undo the tie yep. and, and all that, you know. Right. Loosen the whole structured game up a little bit. And that let that be the new way to do things. And he came in the perfect time for that. Yeah. And he spurred the imagination. I think he made us evolve. Mm -hmm. He bumped us as a species. Because an improvisational species is the species that will win. Sure. Because the one that can't improvise <laughs> will go into the mud and become a fossil. Yes. Yeah. God. All of evolution is an improv. Mm-hmm. There, there is this interesting thing about watching something like that. I love the idea of a stick. I have to watch this. Uh, 
there's something about that that puts a little bit of fear into you while you're watching like what is he doing i could not do that and then you're as you say it's that same thing of like oh wait 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 a minute wait a minute. he's dealing this with this in a human way it's a human story maybe i could do there's something like sort of subconscious that strengthens you like you you know like if it makes us evolve you have your version of it yeah you don't have his personality exactly he, he kind of leapt out at us a yeah. little bit and you don't leap out mm-hmm. you are uh you are a reactor yeah and an actor yeah and he's an actor and a reactor it, it, yeah. the other yeah he, he leaps he's more of an aggressor mm-hmm. and so his style had to have a sort of cuteness edge to certain parts of it yeah to take off the edge of he's aggressing at you mm-hmm you could probably if you play the sit back you could do more bolder weirder things from that position Stephen Wright would do it from mm-hmm. that position right take passive and twist it weird yeah yeah God, it's just it is. It's but when you watch a lot of improv, it's it's kind of scary to people, especially then if you're used to very simple punchline, you know, set up punchline, set up punchline, or certain rhythms. He yeah, probably right. wasn't hitting those, right? I mean, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, he's, if he's he talking didn't to do a set stick, up punchline jokes, he, everything there. I mean, even rhythmically, it probably wasn't the same, right? No, it was, it was kind of like beat poetry yeah. in a way. Uh, and he certainly, he probably had volumes of character things he had done before that he could re-inject there mm-hmm. into the new setting. Right. Maud, he's done a bunch, and Elwood P. Suggins, whoever it is, that they've been characters he's familiar with. Yeah. And so he'll put them in an improv, but it'll have them saying new things. Sure, sure. And that's God. the big treat, you know. Yeah. And Robin and I will go on for hours being characters. I bet. And it's thanks to we're we're walking a comfortably paved road mm-hmm. that was macheted through by Jonathan Winters, right? In right. The pioneering days. Yeah. That we take full advantage of today. Mm-hmm. It's just a very. I mean, it's to know what your toolbox is is got to be comforting as an actor because some people don't. Maybe they don't know what they've got to pull from. You know, you know, you've got, you've got a. I won't call it a stock of characters necessarily, but just to know that you've got this armory ready to go. Oh, I, I, the guy I did in the informant, I've sort of done variations on, and you know, but to give, give myself permission to be that guy, yeah, was, I think, in part suggested by Jonathan mm-hmm. as a possibility that you could, you could be these guys, you know, yeah. and it's a little smaller and drier. But he's definitely got some of that midwestern, <coughs> midwestern fartiness and uh, <laughs> kind of, uh, yeah, what, huh, no, that guy, <laughs> not now, yeah, <laughs> just a dreadful prick of a guy, right. you know. So right. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, Jonathan uh, had. He was always winking to really like. He was the cleanest, dirty act I'd ever seen. Yeah, always doing jokes about banging an old lady and <laughs> you know, uh, uh, guy jerking off, guys peeing in a lake. And but for, just have to understand when he was doing, he broke the Da Vinci Code out, uh, on how to do it when no one can bust you, or they'll right. throw every other guy out, but you got away with it. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of the few guys he broke the code on how to do it in a clean setting. God, how to be hip. With zero language, mm-hmm. and only later did he do a word or a two or a thing later in his uh, right. underground uh, tapes, you know. But 
his, the, the first few decades, he played the circuit squeaky clean, and yet they they roar because oh you got us anyway mm-hmm. and we can't do anything back yeah <laughs> but that's the thing though it's like if you're an improviser you think of there being sort of two types of comedians that they're the types who are like I've got a story I've got a joke I'm gonna tell it I'll wing it the way I tell it there are others who have it scripted down to the word word choice is very important to them how you can improvise and still have perfect word choice is what hurts my brain a little bit yeah. You know, to still be able to do. I mean, I'm sure he did maybe the same bit here and there. Like, oh, this worked here. I can still do it and still improvise with it. But I don't know how you do that. How word choice, how you still have that perfect word choice and you're improvising the whole time. That Innuendo. Yeah. Suggesting it. Yeah. When he's doing, I'll be way here and back. Mm-hmm. Waiting for Maid Marion. Mm-hmm. You take a moment. He, he treated you like you're pretty smart. Sure. Sure. He was always joking about airline pilots drinking and poor people drinking. Because mm-hmm. when you're poor, you know, you got to drink because, you know, things aren't working out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, it's on one level it sounds kind of cold, but he is making this social statement sure. at the same time. He had his way of doing it. He was kind of a cold realist in some ways and this lofty jester in others. Mm-hmm. But when he put a cold reality, this is a Marine who saw a lot of shit. You Definitely, know? yeah. And he did. Mm-hmm. So if no one's <clears throat> heard this album, why would you recommend it? Why is this a good first album to listen to if you want to become familiar you know, with it? You just if you if you give a damn about comedy, mm-hmm. you just you have to have it. Yeah, and they got the other ones too. Absolutely. But he's one of the most important people in the art form. He, Twain, Carlin. Well, there's a lot of people. The art form has exploded, so there's a lot of brilliant and now sure. uh, instrumental artists in it. But back then, there were less. Sure. There were fewer. And he was one of the ones that really stood out. And he was like a dandelion with a million of those little things on top of you. And he seeded uh, millions of us Yeah. at once. Richard Lewis. There's so many comics that say it was Jonathan Winters. Yeah. Planted the seed in my head. And which I wanted to taste that level of fun, mm-hmm. and, it's, and I'd give up a lot to to get it, and I have. Yeah, it's it's nice when people don't forget it, though. People keep that with them, and you're going to always keep you keep it with you, and that's keep amazing. Jonathan with me forever. That's yeah, I've got a few items of his that will be with me forever. I look at him every night before I go to sleep. His yeah. hat and this little Idaho State Farm potato that he signed the ass of for <laughs> me. <laughs> That's and I look at them and say, oh, make, them sh- make the stars laugh, John. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for, for having this. me. It's a real treat. And thanks for keeping the torch alive on these wonderful things and for keeping the love of comedy albums alive. That's a good thing you do. I hope so. I hope it sure so. is. I'm uh, proud to be part. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Oh, my God. What am I doing? What am I doing? Uh, people got to find you online. RickOverton.net. <clears throat> And I have a podcast called Overview. Yes. And uh, I want to get you in on an overview one day. That so would be let's amazing. Let's cross-pollinate that somehow. That'd be amazing. And on Twitter, you are, I apologize. At Rick Overton. <laughs> so easy. Why did I not remember that? <laughs> because I'm a special boy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You're an improver. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, and again, thank you. I'll say it again. Have a good thing. Comedy.
Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. Thank you.